This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Naresh Raja, who is the Managing Director, Head of Data, RegTech and Digital Advisory for Grant Thornton. So, Naresh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carl. Hello. Yeah, pleasure is is all ours. Really looking forward to this, Naresh. So, um, where we always start, if you wouldn't mind, is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and and journey up until this point, if uh, if you would. Sure, Carl. Um, so, background and journey. Let, let's start with. I started as a, a civil engineer, so that was my first mm-hmm. degree. So, engineering was my passion, and uh, building building things and making things happen. Um, I actually had an opportunity to work in engineer or civil engineering, and then I had an opportunity to move into consulting early in my career. Um, so, worked for Ernst and Young, and was very much focused on actually helping financial services firms and oil and gas at that time really to, to transform and, and to, to get better in terms of how they're using um, MR. It was uh, management information or information, but, uh, but then that was to kind of really help executive leadership teams make better decisions, either in corporate governance or regulatory or um, Sarbanes-Oxley, for instance, um, in that space. Um, so I did that as a young, um, then had a chance to do, uh, to do an MBA, um, which I took a, a year out for myself to go and go and do an MBA. And then um, after that, I moved to Deloitte, um, then focused very much on oil and gas and mining, um, worked in the Middle East, uh, worked for companies such as, you know, De Beers and Saudi Aramco and Quick Petroleum, BP Shell, you know, really in the, the oil and gas and infrastructure utilities viewpoint, in large scale transformation. But um, MI was the heart of that. It's how do you make, how do you actually help executive teams and organisations make decisions out of date? Uh, and then uh, Lloyd's is going through the kind of integration with HBOL. So I, I found that as a career change from consulting into, into financial services, uh, went to work for Lloyd's. And there were two parts of that. One really in the kind of HBOL Lloyd's integration, which was fantastic. But from a data standpoint, how do you actually start to integrate data? Second part was really the single customer view transformation um, from a data standpoint for Lloyd's Banking Group, it was a major program and that really involved changing a lot of the source platforms in terms of data entry and data collection, a common data model, developing a single customer view and then data consumption absolutely revolutionised the way by which um, digital was built on the on the data as, the, as a foundation block and really rehashing, you know, at that time, 30 million customer, uh, customer records. After I've done that and you know, doing looking at benefits, I, I was actually uh, approached by Barclays 
to come and do a multitude of roles, actually. Um, Barclays never was happy at doing one role for anyone. It, it was <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't get paid anymore. You just get to do more jobs, more, more roles. <laughs> but um, effective as two or three things. The first is actually as um, Deputy Chief Data Officer, setting up the, the data capability uh, for Barclays UK in terms of the data, data policies and standards and data capability around data management, data quality, governance, liquid, uh, liquid uh, those aspects. Um, the second part is the regulatory change and automation agenda is, you know, how do you drive better regulation um, in terms of data, uh, data-led regulation, but just broader regulation you know, from Brexit, GDPR, MIFID, uh, et cetera, uh, and automated controls. Um, and, and that was that was something, a fantastic journey in terms of financial services. And I've now then popped back into professional services, uh, life's a cycle, uh, they say. So I'm back into <laughs> professional services at Grant Thornton, um, a, a fantastic opportunity to set up a data rec tech and digital practice, which is really focused on helping clients in, uh, we say financial services, but also large corporates with the FTSE 250, really get better value out of their data, uh, be more regulatory compliant and actually you know, become a digitally enhanced and digitally active um, set of organisations. So that's um, hopefully a very summer, very short view of my kind of career journey to date. Yeah, yeah, no, we appreciate the uh, appreciate the overview. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, and I'm not too sure there'll be many people that don't know the name Grant Thornton, although we've got now um, just over 16,000 listeners in 123 different countries. So there might wow. be somebody out there, right, that might not have heard of Grant Thornton. So for anybody that hasn't, just give us a, sure. a kind of brief overview on that business and, and what you do. I can't thank you because I'm sure my, my, my seniors would be saying, you know, Naresh, you've not plugged Grant Thornton in this time. So, <laughs> so thank you for prompting that. Um, so Grant Thornton is a full suite professional services firm in terms of audit, advisory, tax, corporate finance. Um, so you take one of the kind of bigger professional service firm, Grant Thornton is probably number five or number six, uh, globally, global professional services firm operating in 100 plus countries um, and really building uh, strength in certain capabilities. So that's um, effectively what Grant Thornton does. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. So give us, I know you kind of told us your title there, but just kind of give us a little bit about your role and responsibility and I guess what your task with achieving because I think you know you mentioned there some of the other you know the big four as an example they started to build out some of this data and digital type of advisory practice a couple of years back obviously it seems like you're now in there at Grant Thornton to, to do a similar thing so uh, always fascinates me. Sure sure so so um, Grant Thornton didn't have a, a full suite of data reg tech and digital practice two years ago um, I was brought in by the head of financial services group to actually do that. And so what really looks at, you know, what's our kind of key focus is really looking at areas we can help our clients. So the, the, the words I use are trusted advisor, which is how can I and my team be a trusted advisor for chief data officers, chief digital officers, heads of data, heads of analytics. And we focus on a, a suite of services. So if I give some examples, looking at data management, so really um, building the foundation blocks of data management. And, and within that, obviously, you have governance and quality and lineage and reference architecture. So that's kind of one component. The second is analytics, you know, building analytics, um, tool sets, capabilities using low code, no code, you know, like, like the Ultrix and Nine, but also getting into coding in terms of actually building suites. Third part is actually data platforms. 
So I'm sure we'll talk about this some more. We built an ESG data platform. So building a data platform end-to-end, um, either on cloud or on-prem from scratch for our clients uh, and making that a, a value proposition. Um, we've, we're obviously involved in data assurance um, where our team is um, EDM DCAM qualified to be able to do DCAM assessments, but also data assurance on holistic data risk, data assurance, data internal audits, kind of focus on that. Um, and then data strategy. We have helped clients build data strategy and operational data strategy. What we're getting into more is the data modeling, data fabric, um, into linkage around data tooling, um, especially around catalog quality privacy tooling and working that through. We're working with a, a large mining organization, for instance, in terms of in that arena. Um, so it's a full suite of services in data. And our raison d'etre is, is effectively bringing in um, industry experts that have been that been there, done that, um, and then actually help it, and then putting them in place where they can help clients in that trusted advisor capacity to help either build capability or build uh, solutions for our clients. Yeah, I guess to to kind of frame the conversation for for today, then in terms of putting some meat on the bones, I think there's two two key areas that I really want to get into with you. Um, first of all, is that the balance between offense and defense right because you've spent a lot of time in very large corporations where regulation is just as high on the priority list as trying to get some commercial benefit out of data right um and also then this esg thing there's been a big movement to that i know you've done a lot of public speaking around this you know you, you kind of referenced there the, the the esg data platform which i'm keen to kind of get get into a little bit more so i guess good starting point would be the role of the chief data officer then as you see it now it, it, that has evolved a lot right over the last five years even um what do you see that role as today in terms of you know where it sits what the purpose of that role fundamentally is sure um, thanks Paul. i mean I, th- I think um i think you know i think you know Joking, joking in terms of that is, you know, if you think of a, a chief data officer, I always think of a, a Premier League manager, you know, 18 months to to kind of make a massive difference. <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting the chop. Um, yeah. And if you're, if you're at Chelsea, it's probably six months. But, you know, fundamentally, <laughs> fun, fundamentally, it, I think that's what a chief data officer unfortunately has that viewpoint, you know, make change happen quickly. And there's a lot of learnings I took from, from my previous employment, but also as a trusted advisor, I mean, I work with maybe 20, 25 chief data officers at any one time. So they see me as a trusted advisor and they bounce ideas off me and obviously all very anonymously and it's all confidential. So I won't share anything in terms of that. But fundamentally, you pick up a lot in terms of my own experience, but the collective experience of the group I work with. And I think that the key thing around balancing offense and defense to me is um, either we've got we have chief data officers and have been either forced to or have grown up as either been very defensive. So that is, they focus on the regulatory agenda, BCPS two three nine regulation controls, etc., and they focus only on that because that's either all they know or, or what the organisation is saying is priority one. Or on the other side, we have chief data officers who've grown up grown up through the root of analytics and data engineering and platforms and therefore all they want to do and all they really are excited by doing is building platform building data science algorithms and, and to create that which is fantastic my, my kind of real position here is one has to have a balance so i see a bit of a seesaw you know in the playground where you've got defense and offense neither one is bad neither one is uh, you know effectively 
one that you should ignore. You've got to find the right balance and it has to be in, in tandem. And so what do I mean by that is I think if you look at the first part of a, of a chief data officer is actually getting data management right. And so biggest learning for any legacy organization, you know, if, you're, if an organization has existed more than 30, 20, 20 years even, and we'll come to what you should avoid, but 20 years, you've accumulated customer data and uh, transaction data, account data, et cetera. You've accumulated huge volumes of these, and it's not in a good state. Uh, and we can talk about some of the some of the reasons around that. So when I even when I talk about defense, whether it's for regulatory purposes, and you know we can reference in financial services, there's a lot of regulation, but you've got to get the foundation right. So I call it getting the data management foundations right. So how do you focus on critical data elements? Get your what's critical in terms of data. How do you build some data quality rules? How do you then understand the quality of data and then really put some arms around making sure you one understands the data, how good it is, and put some focus around that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I think there's been some, you know, fairly well-known use cases, right? Because I think when we talk about the term defense, naturally your mind wonders too, well, let's make sure we don't get fined, <laughs> right? Um, but as you very rightly said, there's a lot, lot outside of that as well, which allows and enhances better analytics projects, right? Um, and I think there's been a lot of noticeable use cases where organizations that maybe aren't in highly regulated environments have come in and kind of gone, ah, yeah, that data management thing, that seems a bit dull. Let's go and build some, you know, shiny, sexy ML models or whatever the case may be. And, right. you know, are then left uh, very underwhelmed out of the other side of that because of the poor data management practices. I guess one thing I'd love to know from you, Naresh, is, um, Kind of trying to drum up appetite within a business for those types of things that that often from conversations i have on the podcast the events that we host doing the day job that seems to be the trouble you know businesses are attracted by the shiny lights of the buzzwords like ml like ai they're willing to invest in those areas but data management uh, you know no, <laughs> not so much how, how do you kind of position that as a, as a trusted advisor. Totally. We, we won't even talk about data governance, which people misunderstand with data governance. So, so sorry, data management, data governance, they use people, we use that interchangeably. So we won't even take, if we're worried about data management being a boring subject, you know, let's not even get worried about data <laughs> governance. That people do. So, but I think your question around um, how to kind of, how to actually make this happen is, I think of this as an iceberg. And we've, I've actually worked with a number of chief data officers now to actually illustrate this. And we've taken it to their boards and their executive committees you have the iceberg, and the key part of that is what is the business strategy of an organization? Uh, and what does how does data help deliver that business strategy? So articulating that, I, I call that above sea level. We're really going to focus on you know, generally customer revenues. Um, maybe there, you know, there'll be other priorities in terms of complaints, et cetera, or growing and growing the business. And you show that as data enablers, so sorry, data focus and data priorities above the line, above sea level. To make that happen, below the sea level on an iceberg, you have the nuts and bolts which have to happen, which are effect effectively I call critical enablers. So you have direct benefits and indirect benefits. The indirect benefits are below the line sea level, which includes things like data management, data tooling, getting quality right, getting catalog right, um, you know, tools for other things. And the way to sell it to the to the business, I hope say, to be able to achieve the total business case of above the line to to create business business value, you need to put some cost in for above the line projects, but you need to create the infrastructure and data management below the line. 
you're not going to achieve the business case of those key products above the line if you don't do that as a whole. And I think that's the way to make sure people really focus on that. And you focus the narrative on the top part, the bottom part, when you're setting, when you're articulating the narrative, you, you kind of tone down that narrative just to let people know that that's an enabler that has to be there. But you're not going in selling data management because no one's buying data management. They're buying the outcomes and the benefits. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Makes makes sense. How, in the data strategies that you help to put together for, for, for your clients, how, how much of this kind of you know balance is in there how much is that reference to in terms of getting that balance right i think every organization as you know is probably pretty, very very different i'd say if you look at the the subsectors i think there's huge variations so i think there are some industry verticals who actually have got the data foundations right and, and they then mean that they can actually build analytics and data science on firm ground so that the any data science um, algorithms they create or any insight they produce is based on good quality data. So there are certain industry verticals who've got that balance right and they've got the foundations um, in, in certain verticals and they've invested heavily. There are other industry verticals and other sub-organisations with legacy problems or they've had joint ventures or mergers, huge problems because they're having to reinvent themselves. Mm. Um, and in terms of that, they're, they're, both their data strategy and balance and their data operating model is really confused and they need a big transformation and what we are trying to convince or what we're what i'm trying to help convince um others is to say that without that data transformation your next three to four five years is never going to happen with regard to digitalization and what you really need to do and i think that's the challenge firms face at the moment mm, yeah absolutely i guess in terms of the role that the chief data officer plays within that because there's been an awful lot made right about the the evolution of the chief data officer and you often hear you know kind of cdo version 1.0 and now we're sure. up to 5.0 or whatever we're up to on the on the richter scale what, what's your thoughts on the role and how that's involved and and how they play a part in becoming that kind of agent of change and helping that transformation happen because i think the Broadly speaking, the expectations around the roles have changed, but I don't know necessarily, in my opinion, that um, that doesn't mean that it's come at the cost of something else. It's almost just like the role has grown a little bit, right? You know, like version point one was defense, governance, reduce risk. That's it. But, but that's still part of the job now, right? We're just kind of tacked more things on. So, so I actually think the, the chief data officer role is being a partner of the business. And that... Primarily, I mean, this is something I did at Barclays. He sat in front of each of the CEOs and say, what's your biggest problem with data and how and what, what are you going to use data for to be able to to be able to do to, to rev- grow your revenues, increase your cross sell, whatever it might be. And so my firm belief is a date, chief data officer's main job is as a partner and someone that can face off very confidently, very articulately to uh, a CEO of a business or head of business. And, and create some commitments and then drive that change to make sure that's delivered in terms of benefits and outcomes. And then the other part of that CEO role is everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Um, um, if you if you catch a few people that I work with, them, they'll probably say I've got lots of weaknesses more than my strengths, but that, that's fine. <laughs> but is how do you then, how do you actually build people around you, build a team that actually has that right balance of analytics, data management, data science, data platform engineering. So you build a a great team around you, whichever way your particular skills are. But I think primarily the chief data officer, he has to sit at the top label, has to be respected to be able to deliver deliver 
results, but actually do that from a way by which the business trusts that person and can actually interact with that person really well. Yep, absolutely agree. I mean, something that I've been harping on about for quite a period of time now around you know the the quality of a data analytics capability in its entirety obviously spearheaded by the cdo or whoever the most senior data leader is within that organization but the balance of skills and diverse diversity of thought and different strengths in different areas is massively important right because i think we've become uh, or have been more previously very guilty of you know having data analytics teams that all look can have a lot of the same types of skills in them and that's you know probably being counterintuitive to the speed of progress i'd say um one thing that you did mention there which um i'm really keen to pick up on you talked about you know when you stand in front of a head of business or a ceo and you ask them you know how data can help them to achieve their business goals in your opinion how many of those people have actually given much thought to that in terms of you know, is data important to them? Do they see that as an enabler to their business goals or or are they not thinking on that level? Is that something you've kind of got to, you know, prompt and poke and tease out of them type of thing? Sure. I mean, I think if we look at the last 20 years or so, things have changed dramatically. Within the last five years, I'd say, um, you know, if I look at, you know, the last 20 years or so, within that last five years, where if you're a business leader and there's certain business leaders, I think they've got to the fact that they actually could need, they need data to be able to run their business, grow their business and control their business. And so any CEO or head of, you know, I'm talking about business line leader, work their soul, knows data is the way by which they're going to manage their business and build build relationships and build clients. So I think they have that. In the, that's certainly in the last five years. And, yep. uh, you know, before that, basically people wanted to go with instinct, but I think that's changed. I also think that chief CEOs and business leaders who do not as you know who do not embrace data as a way forward are not lasting in the in the in the way by which um in the way that things go forward so i think i think it's an open door the problem i think is i don't think we have data leaders who, who necessarily discuss things in the language of the business and articulate benefits and outcomes no one cares as a business person if we're using data tooling, data fabric, you know, let's just put all the, you know, how many words do we have for data warehouse that's come around in terms of late cows, late cows, and late this, and yeah. no one cares, right? And, and, and it's fundamentally, as a business, you said, right, where, what is your focus on customers? What is your focus on regulation? What's your focus on growth? Where's your focus in terms of really growing your business? How are you going to do that? And how do you want data to help you do that to terms of external data, internal data, and being able to actually create analytics and data science capabilities, which gives you more. And, they work, and, and then what are the use cases? And how do you sell those use cases saying, look, we're gonna take one part of this journey, and we'll take a use case, let's say, you know, we're gonna look at upsell and cross-sell in terms of this part of the customer and client journey. We're gonna do this analysis, we'll go and, do, and we're gonna show you how you could do that. And you're gonna sell that as a, as a real benefit and an outcome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think um, that does seem to be, you know, I've been dragged into a whole host of debates and conversations lately around, you know, the the value that organisations are able to get out of their data. And I think that's been one of the, the key themes is often it's, you know, being unable to quantify and or articulate 
what those benefits actually are or what you know what that piece of work has done in terms of that benefit so um very interesting point i guess in terms of getting the balance right then because i think completely agree with you that you know any ceo that's you know fit for the modern age um knows that data is going to play a massive part and there's a load of value in here somewhere and we just need to leverage it right i think uh, every business leader is you know on that frame um frame of mind um where do things then like esg fit into this conversation because this you know i know it's been around for a while it's been a lot but it seems to have just from a data community perspective almost just sparked out of nowhere over the last 12 months right Tony Carl, I think there are certain things which are data, you know, when we talk about data driven, um, um, ESG and sustainability is data driven. And um, I think the fact that if you're looking, you know, where does that come from is if you look at some of the things in terms of the market data vendors, where actually provide a lot of external data and do provide ratings, you're going to have to formulate a, a viewpoint to be able to get to that. So I think there are certain things which really engenders the fact that without um, it's actually like the same as digitalization. You you cannot digitalize an, an organization without data. There's no point. And I think the same in terms of ESG and sustainability, data is the core of that because every single data point actually then enables you to be able to articulate and, and measure and score where you are in environment, social and governance, and then how you're going to do about it. And, and that's why I think you know, ESG, data is at the heart of ESG, no doubt about it. Yeah. For anyone that isn't aware, and again, I'd hope that there's no one listening to this that isn't aware, but just kind of frame it for us in terms of what it is, why it's important, why it's kind of just come to fruition, you know, over the the more recent years. Sure, I mean, I think you know, I think we're, we're we're all aware in terms of the commitments. You know, we've got COP twenty seven going on right at this moment as we as we, as we speak, and, and our prime minister I think has actually turned up to it this time. So I think in terms <laughs> of in terms of that, um, I don't know how many U turns that took, but you know he's there. But fundamentally, I think you have you know the the commitments that are made in terms of net zero by twenty fifty, you know carbon emission re- reductions, etc. All those commitments that are made at a at a country level, have then been you know, the regulations that have been translated into large corporate, you know, organisations that are of a certain size and revenue, number of people to be able to make that happen. You know, obviously, and what that has meant is then how does that type of uh, created regulations in terms of you know, TCFD, SFDR, by from from a UK standpoint, flight from EU standpoint, and globally where there are regulations where firms have to report and disclose well how they're doing in terms of environment, you know, carbon emissions. Uh, et cetera, and wastewater and water, et cetera, but also social in terms of how they're doing with regard to you know, the, the certain aspects and then governance, how they're managing their governance in terms and also in terms of diversity and inclusion and all those different factors. And so if you really dissect environment, social and governance, you have two, two different components. One is, um, and I'm sure everybody knows, there are market data providers who provide an ESG score. So we can, you know, you, you're able to go into and work out what, BP's ESG score is as opposed to Tesco's and whatever, but you might want to look at industry. And there are two dynamics here. One is people who are the, the kind of in terms of investors, both in terms of um, institutional investors and also um, personal in, 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 investors like yourself and myself are actually going to say, we actually want to only invest in responsible stocks and responsible funds. And therefore, what is your ESG rating? Tesco or, or BP or whoever it might or you know, whoever it might be is listed. 
So getting that ESG rating right is important. Now, the real problem is you have a number of market data providers who provide ESG, data, ESG ratings. And let's just say that's a black box methodology and not all of that is very clear and regulated. Um, interestingly, the FCA has actually consulted very recently on putting out the fact that market data providers should be regulated to be able to bring some consistency and standardization of those ESG scores. Um, so to answer the question, that's kind of where the, the hand, headwind is in terms of organizations having to put on, get on top of their ESG ratings. And I'll talk about e- how data can power that later on in our conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In terms of, you know, the differences between ESG regulation and then regulation as we would have known it, right? You know, the types of companies that were heavily regulated from other means um, in in the past. Is there any difference around that? Because this feels like, you know, there's more, there's just a little bit more to it. You know, it's not heavily, you know, people that have a lot of customer data, for example, you know, financial services or pharmaceutical companies or whatever the case may be. This seems like it could be anyone that's doing certain types of, of business. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think there are th- three or four differences, Carl. I think, you know, uh, I think was, you know, I think one is the fact that everybody's st- starting to do this now. So this year is the first reporting cycle, disclosures in terms of that and anything that comes first time around, it creates a lot of pain in terms of in terms of doing it first time. The second component is whereas if you look at financial services regulation, you take regulation in financial services, and although there's new regulation all the time, it actually will fall into prudential conduct, um, maybe some financial reporting, full, or financial crime, et cetera, you've got four or five categories, which firms who have been uh, listed, sorry, firms who are uh, who have a responsibility to be, be within, you know, domain, dominated by the FCA or the PRA who are regulated, have been doing certain type of data to be able to report for predominant number of years since they've had a license. The point around ESG is no one's no one has, you know, this covers a huge spectrum of organizations and it covers data and in terms of the way by which no one's actually pulled this together in a very consistent, standardized way in terms of understanding that. That's kind of part two. Part three is I think there's this confusion around market data to be able to understand it and, and, and work that through. Um, and everybody's trying to actually try to pull this together for the first time in an integrated way. So I think there are huge differences. Um, and sorry, four is the access to data. Can you actually find data for certain things that you've never actually measured before um, in terms of wastewater? Yes, you might have an idea of what how much wastewater that your firm provides produces. But if you look at scope one and scope three emissions, your your suppliers are brought into scope in terms of the people that you supply you. What mm. their net zero, sorry, net zero uh, commitments are, how they, what they do in terms of water wastage and waste water. So uh, it, it's quite quite encompassing in terms of complexity and difficulty. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot different because I mean, even if you think about it on a, you know, just more of a basic consumer, you know, customer to to organisation level, right? There's there's a, a line that may or may not be towed from a regulatory standpoint, but then you've also got people's personal preference of saying, well, okay, both, I don't know, Tesco and Morrison's are, you know, they're both within regulation, but actually Tesco does it better. So I'm going to shop at Tesco. You know, I think that whole, you know, just that whole preference piece throws up a whole host of complexity, right? I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, um, 
you can also see where share price falls quite dramatically if there are some incidents in terms of, I think there was a modern slavery incident in, or attuned to that in terms of a certain firm, which I won't name on here, but in terms of, certain, you, you, know, you find that out, and their share price dropped by 20% pretty much overnight because there were, there were concerns around how they were using staff globally and, and whether they were being paid appropriately, whether they were under right, right working conditions. Um, and that, that can happen really, really quickly. So that's kind of one part of the risk, which is, like you said, your Tesco and Morrison's viewpoints. Where if where are people going to choose to shop or work or trade with based on that second part, uh, which which I think is fundamental. The other part is then where are you where are your partners going to actually look at? So would you do business in terms of counterparties and viewpoint, whether you feel that you know that's a that's a brand and that's a company that you want to do business with? So you can get hit from a number of ways in terms of actually being a responsible firm uh, from an ESG standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So tie, tie all this together for us then, Naresh, in terms of the component of data within all of this and how organisations need to be thinking about it, where, you know, where this thing of ESG sits on the prioritisation of a data strategy or if it's in there or whether it's on the side, you know, just, just sure. piece it all together so, for so us. I, Sure, I'll pick that bit up at last because every chief data officer, head of data I talk to, ESG data is at, is on the top table. So that is something their board is asking for and the executive team is asking for. Um, definitely in financial services, but also in terms of heavily, let's say, regulated industries like pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, um, etc. So there are verticals, industry verticals, where it's on the top table already and people have either... Uh, we have definitely started that journey, but their board and ex- executives are asking for, where are we? That's kind of part one. I think in terms of your point, Randy, how should firms approach it? So, you know, we wrote a paper very recently in terms of, I call it kind of seven steps, seven critical steps for ESG, um, which is data is at the core of that, is the first is all firms and all data individuals need to create an ESG data strategy. We've obviously know about a data strategy, but what is a firm's ESG data strategy, which articulates how you're going to approach ESG from a data standpoint, what you're going to do about internal data, which is mainly governance. What are you going to do about external data? Um, how are you going to reuse your existing data in the fir- firm to be able to do that? And then what do you do with, the, which is the congruence between the data strategy and the ESG data strategy? That's kind of part one, step one. Step two is vendor assessment and selection, because especially if you're, if you're caught up under TCFD and SFDR and some of the other dis- regulatory disclosures, you're not going to have all the data in, in, in yourself, especially on the on an E and S. You'll have it for G. So for environment and social, you're going to have to go and procure data to be able to, to bring that together. So that vendor select vendor assessment and selection is, is, is critical. Um, you know, how do you choose that market data program? What do you choose them for? Um, and we work with a firm, for instance, an asset manager, where we switched off some of their data feeds um, and, and it saved them half a million, which then they actually focused on them creating the right data feed from the right market data vendor. So this is an important activity to pay for a lot of your ESG effort in a year. The third part is what I would call an ESG data taxonomy or ESG book of record. Now, if you remember, I, I mentioned some of the issues around market data providers is they are rating each provider based on their views. Um, firms that we work with and, and we built the ESG book of record is to say, look, create a position on environment, social and governance uh, based on how you're going to tell the market how you're doing in those three those, uh, components. And within ESG, you know, everybody talks about ESG, that's just the component. There are 34 to 38 subcomponents of environment, social and governance. So break those into those 38 subcomponents 
um, and then try to understand which, which data point is going to answer which part of that and be very clear to the market. So you're, you're telling the story based on accurate data and you're not letting others do that. The fourth is a data model, you know, develop an ESG data model from a use case standpoint, which is, um, you know, your shareholders, your clients, your board and your regulator. And say, look, how are you going to create a data model and data pipelines all the way back to the source data and link that together so you can create these use cases? The, the, the fifth one is we've helped firms build their own ESG data platforms and ESG data screeners is bring it all together on a data platform, build a data platform or a data screener. And an ESG data screener card is something which says, look, these are the types of stocks or these are the types of assets we want to call out. It screens them out and says, look, maybe a firm is investing in tobacco or lending to tobacco companies or gambling companies or whatever it might be. And you want to call those different things out. Well, you're able to build a screener which actually filters out those items and shows the firm. You can also do that with suppliers, actually. The sixth um, is build an ESG data and technology vendor ecosystem. You know, and I think one of the things we haven't covered is uh, chief data officers and heads of, and, and data organizers thinking they can do it all themselves. There's fantastic platforms out there, fantastic technology, leverage that in areas which are coming new. And the last but not least, and then step seven is you need to provide some assurance, either independently or from your own team to the board and executive committee. So ESG data assurance in terms of how you're actually broaching this data journey and what you're doing. So th those are the seven steps that we think would get firms on the sustainability path. Yep, nice. This feels, Naresh, like it's, it's big enough to be its own thing from a data analytics capability standpoint. Do you, is that where you see this going in the future in terms of, you know, this is too big to just be sat alongside, you know, your original data analytics capability? Absolutely. So a lot of, oh, some of the firms I work with, especially in the FTSE 100, they have built, they have, they have someone who's their head of ESG data. Hmm. Um, and they, you know, they may have a dual reporting that to the head of sustainability and the chief data officer, but they've actually created teams, which actually their job is to manage ESG data end to end because it's that important. Uh, and I think that's kind of where it's going to go more and more. And uh, what's going to be interesting is the people who work in the space are are going to become very, very scarce uh, because you know, you know, a whole small group of people that can work in the space, that have experience in the space, and they're going to become even more and more sought after in this game. Yeah, yeah. Is there going to be a big component in terms of, you know, you talked about the assurance side there, but around kind of how companies are assessed and, and audited against this this thing? Is that going totally. to be a big, big player? Yeah. Totally. So I think um, like um, financial statements are all independent audited, um, we are going to get to a point where the ESG reporting disclosures is going to have to be audited by professional services firms you know, in terms of external. I expect that to happen. But in the interim, if you look at a chief, you know, a, a C-level, C-suite individual or a board individual, this is more around your own internal assurance that you're on the right path, because this is a this is one of those things people can't get wrong in terms of their ESG journey. So that's where I think the data assurance will go really quickly. Said, you know, are we on the right track? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, um, in in terms of the companies that you're working with or have worked with or having conversations with about this type of, of thing, I guess the the boards and the exco's of those uh, of those businesses are do you think and i appreciate this is very subjective so you might not be able to give us a definitive answer but do you think they're more 
afraid of the regulation itself or by the perception of what people might think about that score that they get? That's an interesting one. I think I don't I don't think they're necessarily going to say openly to me what which one they're <laughs> less scared of. Well ho- guess, hopefully it'll be both, right? But you know, I'm just trying to get a I'm just trying to get a feel. Look, yeah, I think quite spot on, Carl. I, I think there's a balance of both. I think you know there's a, I think there are three factors. One, I think most responsible business people want to do the right thing. And like they can see this is important. So to the core, I think that's fair. You know, the second, I think, is there is the, you know, the regu- a regulator focuses the mind more than anything else. So I think that's kind of there in terms of the alligator coming on saying, you've got to do this. The third part is, I think they are worried about public, public perception, especially we're doing a lot of benchmarking. So we have seven firms that firm, you know, organize, you know, you, you mentioned Tesco, Morrison, Sager. if you look at six to seven firms, how do they stack up each other from a environment, social governance? So f- those companies are worried in terms of how do they compare with their competitors in terms of this market? And is that going to drive customer behavior um, in, in a certain certain way? So I think all three are factors that uh, responsible business leaders are looking at at the moment in this space. Mm, yeah, absolutely. D- does this, in your opinion, or should it change the operating model of the data analytics capability? Do- does this need to be factored in or is it so big that it can should be its own operating model? I, I think initially it has to be factored in, which is, you know, we have, you know, I think there are huge data analytics teams and you know, chief data analytics. One thing is I, I would hope that everybody in that space is espousing this and taking it under their wing and driving it, because I think that's important for someone to own it within the data space. I think once that happens, we are going to have specialism. So, you know, if you, we have, you know, within the data space, we have tooling specialists you know, who really focus on metadata and data classification. You know, they are... They are basically data tooling specialists. They didn't grow up as data tools. I mean, they don't probably grew up in master data management, right? And then they became data tooling specialists. I do see ESG data taking that type of route because you have to have the foundations of data and analytics. And then I think you need to then build on your ESG data expertise and experience to be able to really deliver that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, well, look, I'm really conscious of time, Naresh, but I guess um, to finish, if there's companies out there that are, you know, in the midst of all of this and trying to figure out what to do, where to start, who to speak with on this, just give us kind of your points of advice on, you know, things to think about and, you know, um, how, how to maybe go about it, if you would. So I, I think the first thing to look at is what is your firm doing with regard to ESG? from a data standpoint. So we've probably discussed that within that viewpoint to say, what's the current state? Because doing nothing, you know, if you're a listed company, doing nothing is not a, is really not, not an option. So what is it you're doing? Uh, I think a lot of companies are struggling, to be perfectly frank. So the second step for me is, if you're a data leader, is write your ESG data strategy. Right? Or ask your team to go and look at it and say, here's your data ESG strategy. And do a gap assessment of, Here's what where you need to, you know, here's where you need to get to, and here's where you are. And that de- ESG data strategy compared with your gap assessment should really then provoke um, a, a reaction at board and executive committee level. So that we, we have to take some action. Uh, and that's that will be my advice in, in terms of you know to data leaders out there. Yeah. Has there been kind of any benchmarking done in terms of what good looks like or what the industry standard needs to be to make sure you're on the right side of that regulation? 
we have developed a ESG data assurance framework, um, which there's a case study where we have, we've actually got, uh, done this with a couple of clients where we've actually got a framework and we've then gone and assured and said, here's where you are against good practice. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a starting point in terms of, you know, those who want to have a look at that, you know, feel free, please ask them to contact me. I'm happy to have a discussion, but we have a framework to be able to do that. But I think the Financial Reporting Council, the FRC, is report is developing something um, in the very near future. So, so do have a look at that. But there isn't a standard yet in terms of how people really need to do that. But I, I really would urge people to actually engage. And, you know, this is one of those topics where you need to be in the camp trying to drive it as soon as possible. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, it feels it feels big enough that this could be really advantageous for organisations to get this right, not just so they don't get their wrists slapped and fined, but also, you know, from a public perception standpoint, I think, you know, it's uh, there's always a lot of talk around about data and analytics, right, around capturing market share and things like this. This feels like it's right in the middle of, of that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Naresh, well, look, uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to um, speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Carl. Really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.